this is Doc Wesson, and in this episode of The Gun Nation, what public comment period? Ian explains if that green tip ammo they wanted to ban is actually good. And we get to some really good emails, all that and more. In this episode of The Gun Nation, it all begins right now. Grant <clears throat> with Paul and with Ian, and we have been yammering for what an hour now <laughs> before the show started. You've been yammering for an hour. The rest of us has been sitting here and taking it. Shut your hole. <laughs> waiting for me to show up. Yeah, we've been waiting on Ian. Change your clocks. Shut your hole, Grant and Ian. Get your clock changed. Grant and I are good. We're not saving any more of it. We're, yeah, I know. You know, I haven't understood, haven't understood why we continue on with daylight savings time because, you know, that was like uh, a, an invention or uh, the candy industry, actually. Candy? Do tell. Yes. Do At tell. least uh, I, what I've seen is that that was one of the main lobbying efforts to maintain daylight savings time um, because it's a whole lot more profitable on Halloween when you have a whole lot more kids out there. One damn day? I. <laughs> Don't guarantee it's true, but I'll tell you it, from a firearms instructor standpoint, I love this time of year. Classes last for an hour longer. We don't have to rush at the end. We're not putting away gear in the dark. I love it. You still get paid the same though, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're doing something wrong, dude. You know, <laughs> gotta get the truth out there, doc. You the know? truth is out there. You know, Paul, you could just start an hour earlier. Yeah. I was going to say, thing. I don't, I don't know what it is, Grant, but You're you tell people classes wrong. start at 7.30 and it's not <laughs> happening, man. It is not happening. Well, I think Benjamin Franklin came up with daylight savings time. Yes, he did. It was based on like, like uh, farmers, right? Candles. What? Not burning too many candles. Okay, it's that later, and farming. Uh, that was it, <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, so I read something not too long ago that talked about up to a certain point, which is like 50s, 60s, it still made some sense. It was saving money on energy and la, 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 blah, blah, blah. But it got to a point where, you know, the majority of, I don't know, humankind here in the United States ended up, uh, you know, having central air condition. <laughs> and so when you got up earlier, you went to work and then you came back earlier. So you actually ran your air condition longer. So energy costs went up at that point. At least that's what I read. So it's actually costing us more money in the country than it, uh, in energy than it did. It's yeah. clearly dumb, and as usual, Arizona is the one place getting it. <laughs> which is the reason why we were waiting on Ian tonight. <laughs> so, constitutional time. Yes, yeah, constitutional, constitutional time. carry yes, you know. time. Anyway. I okay. saw something, guys, about 434, and I don't remember if it's an M or a B, but either one is too big to understand. 
a, a 434 million or billion dollar impact on the economy due to lost work because of drowsiness, et cetera, automobile accident increases during daylight savings time. See, that's what I'm talking about. I need that extra hour. Have another Super Bowl. If you're going to lose money, let's <laughs> have a game. That's right. That's right, folks. You've taught, you've turned into time talk. The daylight savings. <laughs> this is the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C. <laughs> um, well, as you can tell, I'm not quite, quite, quite yet, well yet. Oh, man. You've also forgotten some words. There, you know, that's like my grandmother used to say, I've got my tongue in front of my eye teeth, so I can't see what I'm saying. Okay. Moving along, um, let's get started. Let's do some news first. Um, first off, I wanted to say Joe was going to be here tonight, but he's working at the range tonight, which obviously seems to be more important than being in front of, you know, the magnitude of individuals listening. So whatever. I guess that pays the bills, but whatever. Um, we have, we have decided that we're going to start rotating people around some because, you know, we got into two hours again and it's, it's kind of tough on us. So, um, it's, it's heck for me from a standpoint of editing too. So we're going to kind of start, uh, rotating people as they can come in and not make it and all that other stuff. So hopefully that'll shorten it a little bit and we'll get more out of it. So just saying. And it was Grant's idea if you're pissed off about it. <laughs> anyway, from Thailand, there's a, and Grant, this is for you. There is a 1911 shotgun. Did you know? A 1911 shotgun. Yep. <laughs> um, is that the Winchester 1911? No. <laughs> There's a 1911 from Thailand. Yeah, the R51 shotgun. <clears throat> um, it's crazy because it actually, over on the uh, firing block, uh, which I like to frequent, it shows a 1911 wow. shotgun. Yeah, it's a 1911 uh, handgun. It's so we're not action. Yeah. Do what? We're not talking about the other uh, John Browning design, <laughs> no, just from a 1911 no, self-loading shotgun. No, no, right? it's a uh, right, exactly. This is a handgun that's a 1911. That yeah, is, uh, it looks like a nickel-finished, uh, high-polished sound, uh, look to it. It looked like zinc to me. It, well, maybe it's zinc. <laughs> Polished zinc. Polished zinc. Polished zinc. Well, no, in Thailand, it probably is. Uh, that's a 410, obviously. So somebody basically took a 1911 and turned it into a boarded into Beretta, a Beretta Tomcat for a shotgun. Shoot, yeah, right? it looks like that. So it's tip a tip. Yes, yeah, yeah. a tip barrel. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Complete with they've even got a slide stop lever on. They it. do crazy. have a slide stop. <laughs> That's kind of neat. I thought it was cool. This will be a forgotten weapon after the show. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I fully expect Ian to take over from here. Well, but is this a new thing? I no. thought I read something about it somewhere. Well, they brought it out in like, what, 2008 Seven. or something like that? 2007. Seven. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see that. See, I thought this came out quite some time ago before we got into the whole destructive device and, and handgun with without a uh, a barrel that's um, got rifling, et cetera. See, yeah, this is why I had you on the that show tonight. That goes back tonight. to 1934, though. <laughs> That's right, in 34. <laughs> yeah, so there well, were dumb people in 33 and 32 and 31. 
I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and they all moved to Thailand and repeat. Could be. Could Sawadi. Kapkuka. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I, like the, I like the fact that you've even got a bag of zine release. In it. They do. And I see the holster sitting on the. <laughs> it's pretty crappy. You know, it's interesting. It reminds me of a Thai Arasaka I have that the, the Thai military and police had gotten a whole bunch of M1 carbines from the U.S., mm-hmm. but not as many as they wanted or could afford. And what they ended up doing was actually taking uh, Type 38 Arasaka carbines that they already had and cut them the stocks down and reshaped them to look like M1 carbines, uh, complete with the, sl- the exact same kind of sling slot in the stock <laughs> where you put an oil bottle. <laughs> And they're well, actually would, really handy little bolt-action carbines. Interesting. Well, wow. until I see it threaded for a suppressor, you know, I'm not interested. <laughs> well, I'm sure that can happen. But, you know, it's a single shot. for. I guess it's a 410, right? Yeah. It's better than a hydro. <clears throat> you got to give it that. It is. It's yeah. got a much better grip. It is. Much it does. So anyway, I know Grant will be rushing out. Might be uh, you think Cabot? Grant, you think Cabot will come out with one like this? Or you know, I, I wouldn't hold my breath there, uh, Doc. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine the guys at Cabot. Reading. Yeah, they don't have people in Thailand making stuff for them. So. Yeah, NRA forces Obama to wave the white flag and propose <laughs> ban ammo. Did, you know this whole crap? Well, you know this freaking administration, son of a bitch. <laughs> Well, what's what's really funny about this? It's funny because you, I had to laugh when you let off with NRA causes the administration to reconsider their ban on, mm-hmm. on you know, uh, uh, the uh, the green, green tip ammo. Hey, what's really yeah. funny is I got an email in my inbox just a couple hours ago where the Second Amendment Foundation was claiming victory mm. because Alan Gottlieb had sent one of his lawyer letters to the ATF. So everybody's claiming victory on this, um, and nobody really knows well what okay. happened or why. All right. I think it's, a, I guess, a combination of everybody together, NRA, SAF, and everybody else sending in, like, you know, letters or whatever. In theory, it's not the organizations at all. It's the 80,000 individual comments. Yeah, it's individual, I think. Um, I'd, you know, I don't It sounds good when you... Take credit, though. I, I well, think obviously. that, you know, because when you look at what they actually said, they just said, we're going to wait till the end of the comment period to decide. That is the point. That's all they said. That's all they, they, it's just postponed. You know, I'm happy it's postponed, but they need to, like, just go ahead and end that crap. I don't want to be the one spreading paranoia, but there's an interesting coincidence uh, in that the civil, uh, the Supreme Court today decided a, a case that has some definite implications with this. Namely, that um, regulatory organizations, which would include ATF, although this case is in no way specific to ATF, um, are actually no longer required to have public comment periods before changing interpretive regulations like this one. Yeah, and there, and the if you read the law, the interpretive require or the uh, the uh, requirement doesn't necessarily count. Uh, unless they're actually changing legislation or changing rules. In this exactly. particular case, the ATF was arguing we're just applying it yep. the right. way the, the law re- read. And that written. was their – yeah, the way the law was written. That was their out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know what's going on here. I don't think anybody really does. I'm not going to dance in the aisles yet Nope. until until this well, is done. It's going to come back, period. So, it's going to come uh, back. 
I'll tell you what, there are some things that I do know as a result of having been out being out at the range and doing some shooting in the last couple of days. And uh, we just put out a, a follow-up, uh, Carl and I, with InRange TV. We did a follow-up to our first video on 855. Uh, we actually took a whole bunch of ballistic soap out to the range, and we took some 855 and some M193, uh, Lake City surplus, and huh. some 55-grain wolf, and some Mark 262 Black Hills military. And if you want to hear more about it, we're going to talk about it after we're done with the news. <laughs> I see. I will wait for that. Yes, it's going to be a complete segment by Ian. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so the NRA ILA came out and said the Naf National Rifle Association was, and I quote, instrumental installing the Obama administration initial attempt to ban commonly used ammunition for the most popular rifle in America, the AR-15. The announcement that the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and LMNOP explosives will suspend its proposed fire framework to ban the M855 ammunition validates the NRA's assertion that this effort was nothing more than political maneuver to bypass Congress and to impose gun control on the American people. Now, uh, once again, just as Grant said, it's people jumping out there, you know, taking claim. That's okay, though. Uh, Ian's right. It's, it's everybody else. It's, it's the masses, whether they're members of the NRA, whether they're members of the SAF, uh, whether they're people that have guns in their houses, period. It's, it's the masses that have, have, I say cause this, but let me explain that Katie Pavlich, uh, who is a reporter, um, that's been on, you see her on Fox News and a lot of other news organizations. Uh, had discovered back, I think it was like, uh, I read about it like what, last week maybe, <clears throat> where the, um, BATFE had actually had posted on their website for the framework that, uh, it was banned originally. Now, this was before Obama and the administration came out and said that they were thinking about it. And then the BATFE said, well, you know, We've got to have the period where, uh, we take, uh, you know, all, uh, I guess, uh, what instances of, of people calling in, writing in or whatever, uh, and, and look at that and make a decision on it. But so what it looks like, it looks like they jumped the gun on it and put out there what was already in place, which was, Hey, we banned it. So part of this makes me think that the Obama administration had already put forth the edict uh, to ban this stuff. And the ATF, you know, had put it into their, you know, framework of this and then stupidly uh, published it, which was discovered. And then they removed it and said, oh, sorry, it was a typo, <laughs> a typo. And uh, now they're coming back and saying, OK, we're going to uh, take uh, solicit, you know, your uh, comments on this. And make a decision based on that. So I'm not, I'm like Grant. I'm like, you know, it's coming back. You know, it's going to happen again. Yeah. We're, we're going to see this pretty short. And I think <clears throat> they're going to push it. I think part of this was based on the fact that they screwed up and made it known at, by accident that uh, this was already a done deal. So you know, wrong. if you really want to have an, an effect, a real impact, the thing to do as a, as in response to this is to actually support that bill that I don't know exactly where it is now, but I know it was started in the House, 
that would actually change the wording of the AP ammo definition and would actually re-allow the importation of the 762 by 39 and um, 545 by 39 ammo. Mm. That stuff, frankly, it would be far more useful and worthwhile than, than 855 in a practical sense. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think that law is going to go everywhere, anywhere because, I, of course, everybody's going to look at it and say, oh, my God, we're going to have, you know, police, you know, uh, anti-police, uh, you know what's going to happen if they do yep. that. The uh, the the tough question that I want to ask, and and nobody's like nobody's really asked this question yet, is that if the AT or if the NRA is taking credit for this wonderful Hampton stance, my question to them is, um, where were you guys in 1986 when this legislation was passed? Mm-hmm. Hello, <laughs> because the NRA didn't oppose it then. Yeah. They were nowhere to be found, and now all of a sudden they're upset because this law that they didn't oppose in 1986 is being used uh, against the, you know, uh, it just, the whole thing really frustrates me because the shooting public doesn't understand this law. They haven't bothered to read it. They've listened to a lot of half-baked interpretations of what this law means, and they they're looking at it and now they're believing oh this is some sort of great victory no folks this law is still out there yep it's still on the books and it well, and at some point it's going to be interpreted mm-hmm. technically it doesn't apply but yes that's right Grant, you have the wrong expectation of political groups nra or otherwise the only thing they're ever going to respond to are things that the public gets hugely upset about in the first place yeah exactly yeah I know. And, and Ian, you know, we talk about all these people, whatever initials you want to talk about taking credit. The three initials that really deserve the credit for all of this are WWW. Yes. I mean, yeah. The, yeah. The, the Internet is yeah. what it is that really allowed information to spread quickly and yeah, people absolutely. to take action and share what it is that they felt. And and although I do believe, as Grant has said, as Doc has said, it is coming back. Yeah. We simply need to be there again next time, letting folks know that, no, we won't stand for this. Yep. And and that is the position to take. Yep. Take a breath and dig your heels in. I'll exactly. tell you why the, why the ATF did this. And it wasn't because of, of what it was, very simply, is they looked around the political landscape and they realized that Eric Holder and President Obama cannot guarantee their funding next year. That's it. Well, that's possible, yes. They they looked at it and said, hmm, our funding is now in danger, and maybe we better back off of this a little bit if we don't want our funding cut in some no, way. That's possible. And that that's what happened. I mean, let's let's be real. Certainly it, has it, a play in it. Yeah. Well, anyway. So, keep up the pressure. Um, just keep it understand up. This law's out there, and we need to change that law. Yeah, that's where it comes to, down to the law itself. That's so. what we need to do. And it, 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 this doesn't, technically it doesn't apply to begin with, honestly, you know, but whatever, just get rid of the law and we don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Get rid of the law. So lots of fun, but you know, let's go ahead and get to Ian. Um, you know, the green tip itself, what would we lose Ian? Nothing practical. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, in a technical standpoint, why don't you explain what you did? All right. So. We went over some of this before, I think, in a previous episode. But basically, Green Tip was adopted in the early 80s um, in response. Frankly, it was adopted primarily for machine guns, for the the M249. Uh, But because we're going to have one standard ball ammunition round for rifles and light machine guns, it became the standard rifle round as well. 
And it's the, the predominant characteristic it has that jumps out is its ability to perforate a Russian helmet at 600 meters. Wolverines! Uh, uh, hey, you know what? In 1981, that commies coming through the fold, <laughs> gap was the real thing. Yeah. Um, now, with a rifle, you're never going to hit a helmet at 600 meters. I know maybe some guys could on the QD range, but, you know, you've got one sitting on some guy's head running around. No, no. It could happen by accident. Okay, by accident, sure. Uh, at any rate, um, what the, this round, in order to get that kind of penetration, it's got a small steel penetrator in the tip. Um, it's a longer bullet. Basically, the, the, the design inconsistency in the penetrator significantly impedes the accuracy, and you end up with about a three-minute-of-angle cartridge. Um, that's, that's the first video we did, was looking at its accuracy. What you also give up is its terminal impact performance. Uh, it doesn't... So, 223 being a very small cartridge, it is dependent on um, yawing and tumbling in order to create a large wound in a person. And 855 takes a lot longer to start doing that than both 55-grain ammo and 77-grain ammo. So uh, it's simply ballistically a stabler round because it has to be in order to get decent penetration on a, a solid surface. <clears throat> so what we did to test this was we took out 855 and we took M193, which was the ammunition standard before 855. It's a 55-grain a lighter solid lead core bullet. Uh, we took out some 55-grain Wolf, which is, I don't know the exact spec. It's basically the same idea as 193. It's a same weight, same size lead core bullet. Uh, and we took out some Mark 262 Mod 1, which is the hottest newfangled stuff that uh, Special Forces guys use in, in SPR rifles. So the, the, the designated marksman version of the M4 or M16A4. That is a 77-grain uh, Sierra open-tip match bullet. They're made under contract for the military by Black Hills. It's an outstanding cartridge, uh, very accurate. We showed that on our last video. Uh, and the it actually it tumbles as quickly as uh, 55 grain, but it does so, it's a lot less dependent on muzzle velocity in order to tumble and come apart in a target, which means that you can get a significant wound at a much greater distance with it than you can with 55 grain. Uh, once the 55 grain stuff slows down too much, its wounding potential drops off quite a bit. At any rate, uh, we uh, took a piece of ballistic soap at 15 feet distance, and we shot some of each of these uh, cartridges into it. But specifically, what we were actually looking at initially was we'd, we'd gotten a story from a, a vet friend of ours, um, a guy we really highly respect, smart guy, been there, done that. Um, and, and if he says something, I'll take it seriously. Uh, it may turn out to be not totally true under testing, but the fact that this it comes from this particular guy gives it a lot of credence in my mind, at least. Well, what he told us was when he and his guys were in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, when they went to actually do house clearing, they would often sling their M4s and use Beretta sidearms deliberately instead of their M4s because they had found to their satisfaction that the 9mm ball ammo actually did a better job of stopping fights than 855 at close range. So the, the specific question we wanted to address in this video was that. Is that actually true? Because, frankly, it does sound dubious, and we got some people questioning it. Uh, what we found was in a target that is relatively thin, um, and, and I should say our, our standard for this was actually me, a, uh, a straight-on perpendicular shot to the chest of a person that is my size. So 
I laid down on the ground, stuck a board across my chest, and we measured, and my chest cavity is about eight and a half inches deep. So we took that as a top end. We figure fighting guys you run into in Iraq or Afghanistan or, say, Somalia, uh, where 855 got a lot of public use in uh, Mogadishu, those guys are going to be thinner than I am. So I make a kind of a high end for this testing. And in a chest cavity my size, neither 855 nor 9mm ball is going to start tumbling to a significant amount before it exits. So it kind of had the same effect. Um, and I wouldn't say there's any way you could interpret the 9mm as being more effective unless you're just looking at, at the fact that it's 9mm instead of 5.5mm in diameter. Um, the wound channels looked pretty much the same. Uh, I'll, I'll point out, I, when we after we'd shot each of these ballistic soap blocks, I took them and, and sectioned them in half, so we've got a really nice cross-sectional view of each wound channel in the video. Uh, so we, we came to the conclusion, eight, eight, 855 is just as good as your 9mm pistol, which says a lot for it, I'm sure. Um, having done that, we then moved on to the 55-grain the Wolf, the 55-grain military surplus, the M193, and the 77-grain military ammo. And all three of those showed significantly better performance, uh, which is to say that they would tumble and create a, a very large wound cavity much more quickly than the 855 or the 9mm ball. So, frankly, if you're looking for accuracy, 855 is not, not a good choice. It's not a very accurate round. If you're looking for terminal performance, 855 is not a very good choice. Um, I actually, frankly, I found it pretty cool to discover that Wolf does, has better terminal performance uh, than it does. Wolf is cheaper. Wolf was eh, pretty much equivalent in accuracy. Um, we got most of our rounds in a smaller group than 855 with one that went zinging off, uh, as my buddy Carl called it, the crazy Ivan you get in every box of the Wolf. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... Really, for all practical purposes, you're better off just buying Wolf and saving yourself some money than than getting Green Tip. Uh, the one thing that Green Tip will do better, and we haven't tested this, but I, I think we can safely assume it to be true, is it it will penetrate barriers better. Um, but better than 55 grain to 23 is a pretty low bar. And frankly, if you're looking, if barrier penetration is a major concern for you, 223 is not the right cartridge to be starting with, no matter what your loading is. Um, so really, in, in my opinion, the, the little bit of barrier penetration you gain with 855 is far outweighed by the, the mediocre accuracy and the mediocre terminal performance in it. I and you should check you. out the whole video at full30.com. There you go. <laughs> I was really interested to see the profile of the wound track between... Uh, M193, which, as you stated, was was original Lake City surplus M193, and the uh, the the Mark 262, which had and it's interesting because it had very very similar, almost identical profiles uh, mm -hmm. through the test meeting, which is which is really kind of astonishing when you think about it. Because we're talking two completely different bullets at two completely different weights at two completely different velocities. And uh, so that that was pretty interesting. In some ways, that's a little bit deceiving um, because Mark 262 is definitely the better round. Uh, but you don't see that until you start adding distance to the shots. Right. Uh, the M193 will stop making that, that really impressive wound cavity as its velocity drops off. And the yeah. 262 will continue to make that wound for a lot longer. Mm. Um 
uh, kind of the corollary to that is the 262 will also make that wound from a shorter barrel. So if you're talking about something like a 10 and a half inch SBR, your 262 ammo is going to be significantly more effective at any given range than uh, the 193. So what you're saying is <laughs> if we weren't be able to, uh, would not be able to get that, it, no love loss, so to speak, with the green tip. Yeah, I don't want people to misinterpret it as saying that it's not worth bothering to fight this move. Oh, it is, by all means. The green... right. Exactly. Um, right. There are always going to be some people who can't quite get it through their heads, the difference between it's not worth buying and it's not worth being able to buy. It's principle. Right. Principle exactly. is what we're on. Yeah. And the thing, but the thing to recognize here, what I want to try and avoid is someone freaking out, seeing that it's going to be banned, running to whatever website they can find and paying a buck a round for, you know, 5,000 rounds of green tip because, you know, they assume it must be this fantastic stuff because ATF is trying to get rid of it. Too late. Yeah. A million people already did that. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, it so happened. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, if they really want to, they should email me because I've got some wolf and I'll paint the tips green. And I'll <laughs> five bucks a round. <laughs> the, the proceeds will go to fund, you know, Ian's lonely house of orphaned guns. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm wondering just how hard it would be to set up a production line to to get some cheap, you know, paint frame ball to just paint green. Paint cheap. Okay, okay, people. I was not seriously suggesting <laughs> this. I would not go out and intentionally rip somebody off like that. But I'm just wondering. You know. Yeah. Maybe it's you just, shouldn't buy green tip from people on Backpage.com for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. Or cheaper than dirt. Yeah, uh, yeah. cheaper than gold dust. <coughs> Did you say that in your outside me. I voice? had a cough. There was a cough. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, Ian, there's one thing I wanted to ask you. Uh, yeah. The What uh, twist rate barrel did you fire this oh, out of? That is a good point. Um, we were shooting a uh, an M4 kind of replica. It had a one in seven barrel, and it actually had a 14 and a half inch barrel with a pinned on flash hider. Okay. So we actually had the, a duplication of the, the M4 barrel length. Um, the soap we were using is a bit denser than human tissue. Um, to get it roughly calibrated, you you assume human penetration is about 50% greater than what we got in the soap. So you'll see that in the video. We, you know, If we got four, four inches of penetration in soap, that equates to six inches in a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, what, the one, that's one of the sad things about the uh, Mark 262 is that it does pretty much require a fast, faster twist rate barrel than a lot of people have in the one and nine barrels that are really common. Sometimes you run into tumbling issues, keyholing issues with the stuff. The okay. one and eights, uh, some one and eights will do it. The one and sevens are are always good with the seventy sevens. It's the one and nines that are really common, and and a lot of people sometimes run into issues with shooting that stuff through the slower rate barrels. Mm. Okay, um, yeah. Let um, me talk quickly about green tip. You know the whole armor piercing aspect of that and you know uh i would dare say that the majority of um i guess police vests or whatever and and that's the whole premise is that you know it's cop killer type crap out of a a pistol kind of length barrel based on the law right grant 
That's that's it. The, the law deals specifically with armor piercing pistol ammunition because that was the big uh, the big bugaboo back in in the 1980s mm-hmm. was that police officers were starting to wear ballistic vests on a regular basis. This was kind of new at the time, and the, the word came out that oh criminals will have bull- oh no black talons. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that. Crap. And 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 they <laughs> were cop. Yeah, and there was a big thing about cop killer bullets. So <laughs> Congress said, okay, let's just ban armor-piercing handgun ammunition. So the question then becomes, well, what's 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 handgun ammunition? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and that's where we get into that whole discussion about why rifle ammunition was was uh, banned because it could be used. There were there were production handguns being made that would use the stuff, mm-hmm. and that's how that whole thing happened. Okay, it's so all you jerks that sent in letters about the stupid SIG brace that made the <laughs> ATF all super sensitive about AR. Pistols, See, that's and then my they got point. This idea in their head. Exactly. You know, dead gummit. When you got something that's working out in your way, don't talk about it. No, no, poke it until it changes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Changes in uh, against our favor. Yeah, and and be sure to send the ATF uh, insulting crayon cartoons when you do it because they really <laughs> okay that that one was well. I dare say that police vests run like two level two and level three A mostly. Uh, you're talking about nine millimeter, one hundred twenty four grain, and that's typically full metal jacket, so ball ammo. Um, and roughly from a five inch barrel, you're looking at. Uh, standard for NIJ2, about 1157 feet per second. And, uh, also the 357 Magnum, which is at 158 grain. And, uh, typically that's in a soft point and that's like out of a six. Everything for three, <clears throat> everything for 357 Magnum typically is, um, out of six inch barrels. Um, that's roughly close to 1400 feet per second. Uh, and then the 3A, is the nine millimeter, one hundred twenty four grain full metal jacket, um, but that's based on a sixteen inch uh, length at fourteen hundred feet per second, and a forty four magnum, two hundred forty grain, which is a lot of stuff that I do testing at uh, semi wide cutter, um, and that's typically uh, six out of six inch barrel again at fourteen hundred feet per second. Let me tell you right now, thirty thirty. Uh, any of the 762, pretty much any of the 223 is going through it. You know, it's going through it. And that's Whether a 3A, not even a, a 2. Exactly. And so, you know, and I've done this many, many times. And, uh, you know, of course, <laughs> testing it because of my job, not shooting somebody. But, um, you know, this whole premise that it's armor piercing and, you know, it's, um, out of out of a you know this with the pistol as Grant was talking about or based on that and then all you know all this stuff pretty much spire point anything out of a rifle it, it is going to basically go through this stuff especially the spire uh, point stuff because it, it it finds a way to get through those holes. And everybody does. who knows anything at all about this actual subject knows that. Yeah, that's right, and that this means is not a surprise to ATF. Absolutely, and that means. That the folks that are making the laws and the people that are trying to issue executive orders are just playing on ignorance and don't let them fool you. Well, you know, uh, one you of know, the, doc- I'm sorry, Grant. I don't mean to step on Screw you. Screw Grant. I'm, Go ahead, Paul. I'm not. I'm not sure that I agree that they know these things. 
you know, these people are making laws about all kinds of things where they have absolute ignorance and they don't take the time to educate themselves. You know, we can go from the shoulder thing that goes up to, you know, the Colorado. <laughs> well, once they use up the magazines, there won't be any left. We can go on and on and on about legislators that are, you know, polit- politicians that are making decisions based on ignorance because they don't know. Now, these are the same people that are making budget decisions out of ignorance, decisions on how and where and when and why roads can be built based mm-hmm. on ignorance. I'm not sure that all of it is willful. And and there's this this idea that I prescribe to, you know, don't blame something on uh, collusion or on deception or on deceit when it can simply be blamed on ignorance. And I'll say it straight out. Our politicians are idiots when it comes to guns. They don't know. They don't understand. They're worse than Hollywood. You know, I was right. I was with you, Paul, until you said uh, when it comes to guns, if you'd stopped at politicians or idiots, I would have been right <laughs> yeah. on board with you. Exactly. My <laughs> mistake. I, I accept that that error. I'm in my own judgment. I apologize. <laughs> well, I, I think, Ian, you were saying anybody that knows anything about guns knows that, right? Right. Uh, yeah, I wasn't actually referring to the politicians. Right. And my, my comment this. on politicians was they don't know it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. They're, they're fully ignorant on this completely. Part of that is the fact that they're just jumping on the bandwagon. Uh, partly is the fact that they, they've never looked into it. They don't know. Well, Why would they? They don't care so, anything about it. This may be an unpopular point of view with a lot of people. Hopefully not the folks I, I'm sharing this podcast with, but I don't see this as any sort of beginning of any sort of mass plan to ban all rifle ammo like some people are freaking out about. I think the the people at ATF who who started this thing, they know that it's not actually, you know, they know that all 223 goes through vests. I don't think this was started as any out of any level of ignorance that way. I think it is they looked at the law and they interpreted it because that's what their job is. As And I think this is an arguable interpretation that 855 does meet the definition of armor-piercing ammunition, that there are a substantial number of 223 handguns out there, and thus, simply the way the law is written, they came to the conclusion that 855 ought to be prohibited. I don't... I, I Paul, kind of like you were saying, I don't think we can ascribe this necessarily to malice or an attempt to ban but, all 223 ammo. Well, let me ask you, do you think it came from the ATF side or from the executive side? Does Having it, absolutely no actual data, I think it came from ATF. You think? I don't. I, I don't. I, so, let's, so the problem is this ammo is such a non-issue. If you want to look at this as it being you know, a nefarious plan to ban ammo, you would think that they would start with some sort of ammo that actually matters. 855 doesn't matter. It's oh, it not- does matter because it's an AR-15 round based okay. on. Yeah, but- I'm f- I'm with you because in the fact, as far as performance goes, whoop-de-doo. I mean, yeah. The, it's but not it is the for the most popular round not- in the United States. No, and- if they wanted to go after that, what they would have done, and frankly, it would probably be easier to do this is figure out a way to ban ammo coming in from various Eastern European countries where we get all the wolf. Because the Wolf is, frankly, significantly cheaper than 855, and there's a lot more of it out there. Yeah, but yeah. they don't. I can, go, actually, I can go to any gun store and pick up Wolf. I honestly can't remember the last time I actually saw 855 for sale in a brick-and-mortar store somewhere. Right. Yeah. Here's the thing. If the, if the administration really wanted to do that, they could do that right now with a stroke of a pen. 
because yeah. they have the ability to tell the commerce department to say, no, we're not letting in imports from this country mm-hmm. Back channels, in this right. category. Right. They, could, they could do that right now. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I agree with Ian in that. I don't think this is a, a big nefarious plot. I, I suspect I'm a little, I'll take a little issue. I, I suspect part of this did come from the administration pressuring the ATF to find ways to, but I, I think ultimately the AT, uh, you're right, the ATF looked at this law and said, oh, well, okay, here's, uh, here's this law that's on the books that we're charged with enforcing. Um, this stuff seems to fit that. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's put those together. And I think that's, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's what happened. Part and part. I mean, you because, know, and I guess that makes sense, Grant, because, you know, and Ian, what, what, what's coming up now is the ATF has said, we'll hold on. Yeah. You right, know, I let's hold it, on for it. Now, now that what happens once ATF announces something like that, the gun owners freak out, understandably, and then all of the anti-gun people, including politicians, jump on it, and they don't know their ass from a hole in the ground, and so they come up with this idea that it actually has something to do with cop killer bullets and and whatever. Yeah, and that's where a lot of the ignorance comes from. Is after the fact. You know, I wonder how much. <laughs> I wonder how much of this about face is the ATF. The, keep in mind because you have the the rank and file in the ATF who make these decisions, and then of course you have their bosses in the executive branch, ultimately culminating at the president's desk. And I'm wondering if the bureaucrats of the ATF, perhaps maybe they responded to something from the White House. We don't know. But they looked at this and then looked at the heat that was coming from Congress and all the letters they were getting. And rather than looking at this on its merits or anything else, simply said, yeah, we don't get paid enough to put up with this crap. <laughs> and I I wonder how much of it is ascribed to, to that simple point. fact. I mean, I mean, all of a sudden they've got a lot of work to do. Things were going along swimmingly, you know. They they just walked to the office every day, answered their emails, did a little work. Now <laughs> they have all this stuff to deal with. Eh. I wonder <laughs> if this is just their effort to get rid of the work. Who knows? Who knows? I would Whatever works, it. right? <laughs> Whatever works. My that hope be- is that it goes higher than that and folks realized the number of people that can be mobilized instantly against this type of action and let's be serious. There's an election coming up. Well, you know, and to that point, I I guess, and I was reading down through there again where the ATF had mentioned it and I didn't read the whole thing because it was a huge article, but uh, ATF basically had said, okay, look, we had a ton of feedback (laughs) and uh, you know, based on that, we're going to put the, the kibosh for the time being on on this ban, and we're going to actually try to get some data together and look at it. Now, whether that's truthful or not truthful, I don't know. I mean, but that's what they're saying. And uh, so, to Paul's point, that's that's that it could be. It could be that they're looking at uh, you know what the masses have said. You know, because I know personally, I wrote in uh, to them. <laughs> You know, yeah, I'm sure they looked at your letter and said, you know. Well, no, I told them I knew you. Let's, uh, yeah. Well, I told them I knew true. you. Got anything else to say, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bill Nye's got a bunch uh, of doctors. Oh, my gosh. You're bringing out the Bill Nye again. Golly. Anyway. Hey, I'm going to have some kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like I was saying, you know, but I think everybody here is bringing up great points. And uh truth is, we don't know. It's. I think it's a little mixture of everything, period. And uh, 
again, you know, the, the round itself, um, you know, based on what Ian's talking about for price and all, again, you know, you've got other options out there, but, uh, it's the principle behind it, uh, that we're, we're fighting for here. So, you know, don't fool yourself in thinking that, uh, this is not going to come up again. Uh, I think it will, but, uh, to what end, I don't know. I, I just don't know. It will be mentioned again within the year. I guarantee it though. Um, so, you know, is the administration behind it? You know, Grant's got a good point. It's possible that's part of it. And, uh, you know, as I listen to you guys talk about it, it makes sense that the ATF may have been the starters behind the whole thing, even though they've come out and said, hey, you know, we're just following our, you know, <laughs> following what yeah, all this following orders. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know nothing. Oh, so Ian's now on a list. Okay, good. <laughs> you know what? I have a, an NFA tax stamp that says I'm on lots of lists. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, you're on this podcast. <laughs> you're on a list, man. We got a lot of people listening from D.C. Hey, everybody. <laughs> we do. We really do. Anyway. Um, you know what? On but, a side note, it doesn't matter if you think you're on a list or not. You are. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Because the NSA listens to everything that you do and stores it in a gigantic computer vault with these awesome automated algorithms that can prove you guilty of anything they're going to ever want to 10 years down the road. So the only you, you can't fight it by hiding and pretending that they can't see you. The only way you can fight it is by being public and standing up and speaking your mind. Yeah. It's, Hi, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm looking for Tina. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got the wrong number. This is Paul. I'm going to go. <laughs> and and Grant, uh, I think Ian, you, you know Ian, Ian's wrong about that. Ian's completely, absolutely wrong about that because if we've learned anything from watching The Simpsons, it's that it's Major <laughs> League Baseball. All right, we all know that. And Grant, wasn't it you that discussed what an algorithm is? Was yeah, there you? was a yeah we. Your we post. talked about that on the blog here yeah. a month or so ago. So if you want to know what an alg- a true algorithm is. You know, go check uh, Grant's website out. Was it on? Was it on your website or yeah, was, it was it on GrantCunningham.com? Yeah, on I didn't know if it was on that. It was a Friday surprise a month. Or yeah, before. it was a it was a freaking surprise. All right. <laughs> anyway, well, th- this was a good discussion because it is it's it's actually very interesting. Uh, you know, I've been watching that what is that Netflix series House of Cards. And uh, all the the backstabbing bunch of crap that goes on there, and the whole time I'm reading about this ATF thing too, and I'm like going, and the 223, and I was like, uh, yeah, I could just see all this stuff going on. So maybe it's you know a little bit of house of cards, a little bit of ignorance, you know who knows. But hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll somehow work its way out to the right, and uh, you know speak speak your mind is very important because that that's what gets things done. It's the masses. Uh, so awesome. And major uh, baseball. <laughs> okay. And kombucha. And kombucha. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I want to do some email. Let's do some email and we'll finish it up here. Bring it. Bring it. Uh, Kenneth from, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, not Georgia this time. <clears throat> yeah. Finally. Yeah. Doc, you were discussing the exploding bullet that someone found at Vasquez Rocks. You know, I looked Vasquez Rocks up, and did you know, I think it was, um, that was where one of the episodes with um, the original Star Trek uh, did a uh, episode out there at Vasquez The fight Rocks. with the Gorn. Yes, that's it, the Gorn. Um, 
Anyway, he goes on to say, and whether or not anyone in Arizona thought this way, I am a relatively due Arizona resident and only a year into firearms culture after 63 years of Massachusetts understanding of guns. Um, and that makes, uh, that means total ignorance and fear. And that's true. Uh, I for one was glad that you talked a little bit about how the cartridges don't just explode. I bought about 300 rounds of 380. Uh, well, that answers the, that, that. Where? <laughs> yeah. Well, 300. Yeah. Really? Where'd that come from? Maybe you ought to sell them for twice what you bought them for. Um, Does he own a high point carbine? Yeah. That's what I was going to say. He's, <laughs> he's going to be a prime, you know, Ken. They make a high point carbine now. Uh, that you can shoot a 380 out of. I think Locke uh, shared a recoil spring this week that also goes to okay. carbine. But anyways, I digress. Anyway, 300 rounds of 380 when he bought his uh, LCP. <clears throat> um, he goes on to say, uh, let's see, and have kept it out back just because I haven't, or I was afraid, I should say, and unsure if it was safe to keep it inside the house, as maybe it could explode. You have to realize that those of us who grew up with um, and lived so many years in ignorance and fear of firearms due to the anti-gun mainstream media culture <clears throat> so prevalent in the uh, slave states. Good, good moniker. Uh, this is but one of the things we don't uh, we don't know about scary guns. Uh, the other main thing we know is that. Um, we can just, that they could just go off. Uh, still won't put one in the pipe of his LCP based on that. Um, they say with time and understanding that, uh, I will, but I'm not comfortable yet with, uh, putting that in my pocket. So I guess, you know, basically what he's saying is one in the chamber he don't want to carry in the pocket. Uh, years of thinking one way, and it takes a lot of time and information and experience to change. The fact that I can change at this advanced age gives me hope, but certainly am not the only one. And again, that's Ken and, uh, in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. And that's a good point. I mean, you know, we, we, we talked about that last show or show before last about how, um, uh, how could it be possible that, um, or at least I did, uh, that, you know, people don't understand that, uh, you know, cartridges like that don't just explode. But, uh, this, this, this is a good point here. And, um, I think it's important that, uh, folks like Ken, once they learn, spread the, spread the word across, you know, that you don't have to be afraid to the degree of what, what's being put out there by folks that are not in the know or people that want you to think differently. You know, just a, a little anecdote that mm-hmm. happened to me at a match several, like six months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, three of us were standing around in a group chatting while one guy was loading AR mags. He was getting ready for his next stage. And he fumbled and dropped one cartridge, a two twenty three, And it managed to – we were standing on old rough asphalt. Mm-hmm. And this cartridge hit the ground primer first and somehow, by coincidence, managed to hit that primer on a little pokey bit of, of asphalt sticking up. And it actually detonated just from falling from, you know, three or four feet up and hitting the wrong way. And it made a bang and it kind of well, certainly startled all of us. We were looking around for who, you know, 
<laughs> who was standing with a smoking <laughs> rifle and a real embarrassed look on their face. And there was no stay one. Stay away from the light, Ian. Stay away from the light. <laughs> and we ended up, we never found the bullet, but we found the casing, which was mm. banana peeled open. Um, and that fell in between three of us and did absolutely no damage to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, the, because there's no pressure built up when something like that happens, the actual velocity of the, the bits that go flying is very low. And it might sting a little bit, but it's not something that's actually capable of causing harm. That is a very good point. And I've seen people actually, and this is stupid, um, you know, back decades ago, throw like 22s into a fire. Um, yeah. yeah, we used to and, do it all the time. When yeah, I and, and, and these people were doing it like, you know, on city streets uh, when it was snowing, like on a hill where they were sledding down the hill and they had a bonfire going at the top of the street, totally illegal, but they did it anyway. And, you know, people weren't stopping them, but, uh, they throw 22s into it and it take forever for them to cook off. And when they finally cooked off, it just made a noise. I mean, you didn't see any real damage go on, but you've got to understand Ian's exactly right. <clears throat> There's no pressure built up. The pressure comes from the chamber mostly. And, um, yeah. The other funny bit is not so much maybe with 223, but especially with centerfire handgun ammo. Uh-huh. The bullet weighs a lot more than the case. That's Absolutely. that's exactly what my point was. Okay. The mass itself, if you look at physics, the lighter weight part of that whole cartridge technically is the one that's going to take off because the mass of the you know the the heavier mass or the the more mass there is, it takes more for it to move. But the thing is, because there's no supporting pressure around the cartridge typically it will basically like you said banana peel it'll split open so and and there's been people that have done this before with other cartridges i've watched it on youtube and you know they've actually pulled it out and shown that there's not been real damage to the to the um container that they had it in like somebody was trying to cook off stuff in a microwave and you know really the microwave wasn't that much damage to it you know so you're right about that that's a good point but uh I think one of the important takeaways here is that realistically, uh, I realize that society in general tries to make it sound as though the, the the firearms in general are very dangerous and ammunition is very dangerous and all this other thing. I, I get that and I understand and I appreciate him for writing in and, and telling us about his sort of odyssey through this. And we have to look at comparative risk because there are a lot of things that we have in our household that all of us have in our household that are substantially more dangerous than the ammunition or perhaps even the gun that they have. The, For instance, if you have any lithium batteries in your house, those are substantially more dangerous in terms of explosion potential yes, than ammunition is. Good even 9-volt batteries, Grant, what's in your smoke detector? Yeah. 9-volt hmm. uh, batteries will uh, – the, the term is vent catastrophically – but yes, they, they they basically explode. Lithium batteries are incredibly dangerous. The lithium batteries that are in your phone or your iPad or anything like that, or even worse, the lithium batteries that go into your flashlight. These, these are these are um, items that pack an enormous amount of energy and do occasionally release that energy all at once in in very very dangerous ways. Yeah. So it, we have to look at comparative risk and don't allow yourself to get really excited about one risk when a you can find out that the risk really isn't that great and b that there are things that you have around you every day that you use without thinking that are substantially more dangerous 
Mm-hmm. The it would shock, I think, most people to find out the energy potential of the full tank of gasoline in their car. Mm-hmm. And I don't think most people realize that. No. So comparative risk is is really important to understand when you're dealing with firearms or really anything else in your life. Yeah. You know, I actually have legitimate, honest to goodness, exploding ammo in my house, <laughs> and it doesn't actually explode. Just it hadn't gone off yet, has it? Unless you nope. fired it. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> and frankly, you know, here's the impressive thing. Firing it doesn't make it go off. No, it goes it's off when it, when it hits a target. Yeah. But you can hit that thing with, what, 50,000 pounds of pressure behind it? Yeah. And it doesn't go off. That's a, that is a, a major thing right there. What, yeah. what a, what a feat for that to happen that way. That's unreal. And that was done back when? When was that first? 30s and 40s. 30s and 40s. <laughs> Physics, yeah. Unbelievable. As a, as a saying goes, science is awesome. It is. <laughs> Bill Nye taught me that so long ago. You yeah. and Bill Nye, you guys. You know, I get a room. The other day when I was having Get a room. <laughs> get a room. Take some kombucha. Bill Nye said to me, <laughs> Bill Nye said. Anyway, James writes in, hi, Doc. This latest show reminded me of an incident with my one grandson uh, while we were uh, shopping at a sports authority a few years ago. And <clears throat> basically the last, epi- uh, last episode or episode before last, we were um, uh, talking about kids and guns. And I think, Paul, you mentioned something about your child uh, somehow grabbing or banging their head into your gun or whatever. Yeah, pretty much smashing her face into my pistol. The face. The face is a bad thing to smash. Yeah. So anyway, the clerk was showing me a shotgun, and for some unknown reason, my grandson decided to plunge his hand into my pants pocket uh, that contained my carry pistol, a Beretta Tomcat. I quickly covered his hand to keep him from pulling my gun from the pocket and gave him a withering look (laughs) and that stopped him cold. He was only eight or nine at the time and must have seen the top of the pistol and became curious. I did not explain at the time about granddad having a gun in his pocket and just explained that his action was merely inappropriate. And again, that's, uh, uh, he says Brian, I guess it was James Brian. Uh, we appreciate you writing in on that, but, uh, y- you know, um, I gotta say, you know, I've had a gun before. My son's been around, um, I've had it concealed and, and all that. He's bumped into it. I, you know, I don't know. At times I thought he's put his hand where it was or whatever, but uh, I don't know that he's actually noticed it, but I could see where it would happen. Um, what do you guys think? I mean, you know, something like that goes on a child. I think he handled it as appropriately as he can in short order. Sure. You know, yeah. I mean, what do you think going forward? I mean, you know. Well, especially as a grandfather, you know, mm-hmm. a grandparent, you're one step removed from the situation with a child. And mm-hmm. and so I'm a father and I deal with my children and I have the opportunity to be with them, you know, pretty much 24-7 and discuss with them, have interactions regarding firearms and, and how it is that our family is going to deal with firearms. And every once in a while, you know, we hit a misstep. Mm-hmm. We hit we hit an area that I haven't thought about, an area where I haven't considered ahead of time where it could come up, where it might come up, where I don't want it to come up. And so as a grandparent, that's a challenge. And really what it comes down to is you have to be ready to think on your feet. And number one, 
conceal properly. Make sure that that firearm isn't visible to your grandson or to anyone else. You know, we want to make sure concealment is an important part of security when it comes to carrying concealed. Mm-hmm. You know, the the gun is hidden. So that's an important part of that. And and then you know, you have to to gauge the relationship that you have with the grandchild and the relationship with the parents as to whether or not, you know, they're they're pro gun um and how they feel about what it is that you're doing. And then you vary the the conversation based on that that relationship. And mm-hmm. really what it comes down to is you need to make sure that gun stays concealed because that's an important part of carrying concealed. Mm-hmm. And stay in control of it. Absolutely. And yeah. and you know, a child sticking their hand into an adult's pocket, that's a common occurrence. I mean, think about think about the last time you were having a conversation with a mother um, holding her her eighteen month old child, and I don't mean to be crude or or rude or inappropriate, but you know, did that child grab their mother's breast during the conversation, which would be, of course, inappropriate in an adult conversation? Well, <laughs> that that can happen. I mean, those things happen, and so what you need to learn to do is just like like our listener has done, roll with it. Mm-hmm. Be ready to just absorb that into normal conversation you know, admonish or, or deal with a child appropriately at a later time and go from there. And that's the best advice I can give. Yeah. I mean, you know, in this case, and and I can see it happening, you know, they don't understand. They didn't do anything in their mind wrong. And technically they didn't, they didn't know that the gun was in the pocket. I mean, you know, they're just, they, they love their grandfather or father or whatever. And, you know, they did something that would be, you know, my son's gone in my pocket while I'm sitting there before to get change or whatever I've got in it or just, you know, whatever. Um, <clears throat> so I could see that. And it, I mean, I guess you can't scold them because they didn't know to begin with. That's like saying, okay, you broke the speed limit, but there's no speed sign, you know, no speed right. limit signs up to a certain degree. So I guess it's, it's important to sit there as you're saying and uh, do it at a separate time. And, uh, explain to them at that point uh, how you want to do it so and and every situation that you have every opportunity that comes up mm-hmm. like this is a chance to improve the next time around very good and you know i i think i mentioned before on a show where our house was struck by lightning you know kids were in the in the vault with me i mean literally a concrete room with a steel door full of guns mm-hmm. that's where we were because there's a tornado warning right all of a sudden we've got eggs of the house because there's a fire that was confusing and a story the kids wanted to tell. And I remember my kids looking at me and saying, <laughs> well, we were down in the, um, yeah. and they didn't know what to say. The gun and room. finally they said gun room. <laughs> well, I missed it as a parent. Like, okay, now it's our cellar. Our kids now look at me and say, we were in the cellar and they give me this wink, Yeah, you know? So I had a chance to improve on that. The fact of the matter is, is nobody knew that there was some big secret that I've got a room that's got concrete walls and a steel door and it's full of guns. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe that's there. I don't know. <laughs> that's right. It could be a myth. Right. It could be a myth. <laughs> Urban legend. <laughs> that's right. Um, okay. Well, uh, let's go on to the next one. Spencer in, uh, in Georgia. <laughs> Grant, that one's from you, for you. I says, hey, Doc, uh, great show about kids and guns last week. I spent a couple of summers as a rifle coach at a camp up in New Hampshire back in the 70s. And I learned two tricks I was uh, <clears throat> I always tried to pass on. 
as you guys mentioned, kids are excitable. So it's very apropos to what we're talking about here. And I had uh, to deal with uh, campers as young as eight or nine years old. Two things one of the other counselors showed me uh, to help do do helped a lot at the range. The first was <clears throat> that I would always start kids off with a single round. Mostly had bolt actions, but in some had mags. And I always started kids off with one round no matter what. I could count how many times an excited camper would jump up after hitting the target and muzzle me. <laughs> it was a good teaching moment, and I could be calm about it since I knew that the gun was empty. This is especially important with a handgun. And again, you know, before I continue reading, you go back and, and look at the situation where uh, that, that young girl had the fully automatic, uh, whatever it was, mm-hmm. Mac or Uzi right. or whatever it was that... Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, killed the, uh, the instructor that was there. Um, the second trick was that he would set up chairs on the line and have the camper shoot prone between the legs. This kept the barrels from swinging out too far and muzzling anyone, no matter how rambunctious they got. One last thought. If you look at the CDC statistics, excuse me. About kids' deaths and injuries from firearms, you will realize that guns are way down on the list. When you compare the number of firearms-related deaths to those from pools, cars, household chemicals, and medical misadventures, in other words, doctors, you see that firearms are an order of magnitude less likely to kill a child than a plastic shopping bag is. And then when you realize that the the vast majority of firearms' deaths with children happen, where there are people with the guns aren't even legal to own them. You really start to appreciate the law-abiding people with firearms and kids are actually extremely safe overall. And he's right. That's well said. Two tips. I mean, you know, those tips make sense. No doubt about it. You know, when we look at, at firearms and we look at the statistics, the other thing we need to take into consideration is the idea that the majority of firearm deaths mm. are intentional deaths. Yes. These are deaths where people are making the choice to uh, commit suicide and their own life. People don't typically do that with a pool or a bucket or an automobile. All right. Or, you know, so, so the statistics towards gun deaths are very skewed as a result of, of that fact. So when we look at that from a safety standpoint, it makes a big difference in those statistics. Fabulous suggestion, whether it's a, a picnic table bench or a chair or whatever it might be to restrict a child or any new shooter's movement with a firearm, especially if there are multiple shooters involved. Great call. If that muzzle stays downrange, if it's pointed in a relatively safe direction whenever possible, the likelihood of an accident, if something goes wrong, if the gun is fired unintentionally, mm-hmm. it, you know, it turns into a, oh, wow, that was scary. Oh, wow. You know, that, that makes me frustrated. I holler at you or I admonish you or I correct you in whatever way is appropriate for the moment. Mm-hmm. Those are things we can deal with. Holes in people that don't belong there. Those aren't things we want. So restricting yeah. that movement, you know, kids and, and rifles, great place to start because that long lever gives you a visual indication. It gives you something physically you can interact with if it moves offline. All great points. Yep. Well said. 
Here's a voicemail. This one's for Grant. Hey, Doc. I want to call and got a question for you and the other Revolver guys. I am contemplating purchasing a Ruger SP-101 or a Smith & Wesson Model 60. Uh, probably going to be in a two and a half inch, you know, a three inch, something like that. I know the SP-101 comes in two and a quarter, but I'm looking for a good summer carry gun. Um, what I currently have, uh, you know, it's, it's good, but I'm hoping I'd like to go to a revolver. And I just want to get you guys' opinion on it. I know you're going to say don't shoot 337 magnums out of them, but, um, but I definitely want to, uh, just get you guys' opinion on it. If you would please. Just uh, go and throw it on there so I can hear it. I would definitely appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Lay it out there, bro. Now, he didn't say how he's going to carry it, did he? No. No, it's just going to be summer carry. If if that's the case, the it, it, when I think of summer carry, I usually think of something like pocket holster, which that's is a typical, typical way to yeah. summer carry. And although I've known people that have carried Model 60s and sometimes SP-101s in a pocket, I can't imagine that it, that it's really all that easy to do. It certainly isn't easy for me. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to carry it in a pocket, I would certainly recommend that you look at something significantly lighter. And I would suggest something like the Smith & Wesson 642 would be a really good choice. Mm-hmm. If this is going to be belt carry, and it really doesn't matter in terms of size, then the SP-101. Is a it's an easier gun to shoot. It's uh, it's it's more durable over the long haul. And uh, again, if you're carrying on a belt, the extra amount of weight and the SP101 is significantly heavier than the Model mm-hmm. 60. And if you're carrying it on a belt, that that extra weight just really doesn't matter all that much. Nope. So in that particular case, of those two, I'd pick the the SP101. I gotta agree. They are fantastic, well built, extremely tough firearms. Yeah, you'll never wear one out. Nope. That's that's for sure. Even with uh, full-fledged mags, if you get the three fifty seven, you wouldn't. Now, the one thing I will say is that if you're going to get the SP-101 and you have normal adult size hands, that you replace the stock grip that comes on the gun. It's it's really quite small. Even for my hands, I've got small hands. The grip is really quite small. And you'll want to replace the grips. And I suggest looking at the Packmeyer Compact which is a really, really nice fit for the SP-101, and it fits a lot of hands really well, even on my gun. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I've got small hands. On my gun, I've got the, on my SP-101, I've got the, the Packmeyer Compact, simply because it fills the hand better. It puts my hand back a little bit from the trigger because the trigger reaches too short even for my short fingers. And it's, it just makes the gun overall much more comfortable to use. So replace the with the admonition that if you get the SP-101, you're going to have to replace the grips. Makes sense. Um, let me uh, let me throw, I, I mean, I know this was Grant's uh, territory here, <laughs> but let me throw this in there. <laughs> www.ssa.training forward slash TCR. Grant's Good coming point. to Cleveland, Ooh. Ohio. Ooh. Threat-centered revolver. Get that wheel gun and show up here in Cleveland and get outstanding training in using that revolver if that's where you're going to go. And you know what else? I'm still working on getting Paul and Grant to eat some barbecue every year. I got a couple people that I've not employed but asked to help, and we're we're trying to make moves for possibly this summer. I love it. Yes. And, you know, hey, Paul already knows how to go through North Carolina. Yeah, like 85. (laughs) That's right, (laughs) 85. 
That'd be great. And and I really would love to have that. I think it'd be great uh, for these guys to come. And uh, that'd be good, too. So, you know, you got the Ohio area, right? You got, the got North Carolina or somewhere here on the Mideast Coast that you could uh, do it, too. So uh, hopefully we'll be working that out. And uh, love to get these guys down. We'll have us a little pig picking or something like that, a little mm. barbecue action afterwards. Now we're talking. That's yeah. What, you know. That's little nice. little wheel gun action, uh, defensive learning, maybe who knows what else, and some cue to go along with it. Awesome. I'm hungry now. Yeah. Hey, you <sighs> know, before we finish up here, <laughs> last episode, <laughs> at the end of the show, well, not last, but the one before, I had put uh, the Narwhals uh, song on there. You guys know what Narwhals are? Yeah, the way oh, yeah. yeah. Have you have you heard the commercial for Sprint Tree Unicorn? Have you? What? You know the commercial Sprint's got out now. No, Mm-mm. the Narwhal Mm-mm. song. Oh, it's yeah. the most irritating thing ever. My, I, I put it at the end of the show last, um, or one before last episode before last. I've gotten a lot of emails on that, <laughs> and you're welcome. <laughs> it's one of those things. Once you hear it, you can't get it out of your head. Which was my purpose because my son, every time he sees it on television, he turns the TV up and starts singing it. Uh, obviously to, uh, irritate me, I think, but I thought I'd spread the joy. And yes, narwhals are tusked whales. I think they preside up in the Arctic and, uh, the tusks are actually from a cuspid tooth. No, 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 from a canine tooth. And, uh, it's only on like the right side. It bores through their lip. Good figure. I wonder why my lip was getting a hole in it here, but anyway. It's proof that unicorns exist. They do, but they're in the water instead. And that's a cool song. Anyway, if you hadn't heard it, go back. <laughs> um, let's see what you guys got coming up. Cause, uh, you know, springs around the corner. Uh, you, as you said, uh, Paul, you and, uh, Grant will be together soon. Yeah. Grant's I wish you wouldn't put uh, it like that, doc. <laughs> <laughs> is it going to be like it was in your penthouse in las vegas grant well there is the awkward room that's involved i the mean i'm not going to say more than that but matt devito of uh downrange firearms training might you know provide some uh some insight into that one but uh, yeah grant will be out here early june uh, 13, 14 or 12, 13, whatever Saturday, Sunday is. Yeah. I think it's 12 and 13th. Yeah. 12, ah, 13, um, you know, SSA dot training forward slash TCR threat center revolver. Yep. Grant teaches a great course. You know, we had a, a review come in last week, Grant. I don't know if you saw it or not, but it's from, and, and this, it's just an awesome review talking about how great of a teacher you are from an award-winning professor from, a, a, an award-winning university and that's pretty high accolade so wow yeah you remember mark from last Get year so. a yes, room dude yeah right on i mean like <laughs> i i feel awkward even bringing it up i'm but, like uh, god man well you, you know it's like, the man love here right it's, it's I, like i was saying to bill nye just last week yeah said, bill. <laughs> bill, going. cool so, no, you know, you'll have to forward that to me. I yeah, I'll, I'll fire that off to you. But, uh, you know, Grant's an outstanding teacher, and we had folks from six states show up last year to the Threat Center Revolver course. It was a great course over the course of two days. 
I learned a ton. I mean, I've shot my wheel gun quite a bit, and I learned a ton in class. I look forward to shooting it this year. If you're interested, head to Safety Students Academy, check it out, and and see what we've got. It's a it's an outstanding opportunity if you're a wheel gunner to learn really the the ins and outs of running a wheel gun. This is not a semi-auto class that is you know kind of retooled for folks that shoot a revolver. From the ground up, this is about shooting your five or six shot revolver from a defensive aspect, and it's outstanding. So I, I highly encourage that. And I've got uh, I've got Caleb Causey coming in March 21, 22 uh, for a medical course. So we'll be learning about plugging people's up uh, with bullet holes in them. That's awesome. Uh, William April coming in to talk about the psychology of of criminals, violent criminal actors. That's April 25, 26. Head to safetysolutionsacademy.com and and check it out. We've got a lot going on. Going going back to the wheel gun yeah. class, Grant. You know, um, what kind of wheel gun does it need to be? A J frame? Can you bring an L frame? A K frame? An M frame? What, you can bring uh, any double action revolver that that you want, and that and that includes if you want to bring a Webley, Ian. If you, want to bring, <laughs> if you can stand the humidity, I mean, yeah. I'm just, <laughs> how much for? How much 476 do I need? I've got, I've got it. You hear this? <laughs> right it. here. I love it. But, you know, if you've got any double action revolver that that uh, is, in, is in good, serviceable, and safe condition for which you can find ammo, all oh, these, crap. yeah, all these caveats <laughs> have to go into it. But yeah, J frame, K frame, L frame. If And I've actually had people show up with N frames. And I've actually had people show up with the eight shot 357 end frames. Oh. So the, the principles are the same between them. So it's if all you, comers on that then. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, you know, what, how much ammo would you need to bring to it? Do you need like speed loaders or speed loaders and speed strips? Uh, you will need something to help you load the gun. And I would suggest as many of them as you can afford to bring. And you're going to need somewhere around 400 rounds. You might shoot a little more. You might shoot a little less. So bring more if you can. If you want to bring a, a half case of 500 rounds, that will see you through. Mm. Even easier, Doc, I'll have ammo on hand. Oh, cool. man, yeah. Decent it's prices. You, you know, we're talking reloads that uh, are are very functional, very serviceable. Well, especially a in, a, in a wheel gun. Absolutely. You know, so awesome on that. I'm digging that now. I'm digging that. And let me tell you, if you want to get better on a semi-automatic, shoot a double-action revolver. That is the truth. Amen, that was my brother. whole goal for the past year, Doc, was to improve my single action, my striker-fired action shooting by shooting my revolver mm-hmm. more. Absolutely. It does it for real. For real. And ain't but one person on this earth, I think, that would be the best teacher for it. And his head swelling as I speak. Grant Wildly clapped. I hate you, Paul. I really do hate you right now. Not me. I didn't do it. I said Greg Cunningham. I'll hug you when you get here. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, Yeah, like I said, get a room. Ian, what you got going on, buddy? Uh, I'm actually leaving for Rock Island again. Oh, yeah. You need to have, you got an office there now or? I'm working on that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> They've got some really cool stuff again. They've got an early prototype Mars pistol. It'll be neat to look at. Oh, 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 yay! Uh, 
They mm. actually have a really wacky one. They have what appears to be, and I haven't seen detailed pictures of it yet, an M1 prototype built by Pedersen. Mm. How's wow. that for weird? Do you think yeah. Remington will copy it? <laughs> they might try. <laughs> Just so, saying. Got that coming up. Does it work? Uh, <laughs> Does it matter? Uh, the only other... Oh, oh, actually, you know what I've got coming? I just did a video yesterday. Um, I got to go out and shoot a Ferguson <laughs> rifle. Mm. Uh, one, a, a museum-quality reproduction of one of the hundred original Fergusons from the American uh, War of Ooh. Independence. Ooh. Yeah, that'll be coming. Nice. Actually, and of the course... Guy, Huh? The guy who brought it also brought out one of his hunting flintlocks that we put a couple of rounds through. Mm. Uh, if you were to look at it in uh, black powder cartridge terminology, it mm-hmm. would be a, if I have the numbers right, a 72-200. Mm. An eight-bore flintlock with a 200 gram powder charge. Yeah, whoa. Yeah, it hurt a little bit. Too yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> awesome. Mm. So, now, yeah, that, that's what's been going on. You, you're going to have the video on full 30? You're going to have that over at ForgottenWeapons.com? Or? Both, yep. Oh, awesome. Yeah, don't know exactly when it'll be going up. I have a bunch of stuff scheduled right now. So. Cool, cool. Too many videos and not enough time. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, we were mentioning websites. Obviously, you can go to ForgottenWeapons.com or is it, what is it, full 30? Full30.com. You know, for all the, sorts of, you know, there's more video there from all sorts of people. Every yeah. Day. But, you know, I primarily go free and stuff because it's yeah. mo fun. <laughs> you know, one of the channels they just added recently was Larry Vickers. Oh, and, yeah, that's right. TV. I forgot about that. So he does some amazing stuff. Yeah. So. And that's free. It's free to get on there and watch it. So. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. So go check that out. Of course, grantcunningham.com. And yeah. uh, what's the other website? Uh, Personalsecurity.us. Yes, and I've of got, course, uh, got classes coming up yep. um, this uh, this summer, all over the place, including with Paul. So go there and find out about that. And we are, by the way, we are now just a month away mm-hmm. from the NRA show in Nashville. Yeah, and so everybody that's that, that's listening to the show, come to come to the NRA show at Nashville because I'll be making two appearances there. Um, now this is the, the NRA show runs Friday, Saturday, Sunday on Friday between noon and two o'clock. I'll be at the armed citizens, legal defense network booth mm. and I'll be signing books. Gun digest is sending some books out to give away to folks. And so you can come to the booth, say hi uh, and get a book and I'll sign it for you. And of course, if you've got any of the other books that I've written, you can bring those along. I'll be happy to sign those too. So that's Friday between noon and two. And then on Saturday, the 11th, uh, between 1 and 3 p.m., I'll be hanging out at the Steyer Arms booth. Steyer. And we'll be, Steyer. We'll be Steyer. talking about Steyer. my favorite auto-loading pistol, the Steyer S9. And we'll also be talking about the AUG rifle, mm. which I've been playing with quite a bit lately. So nice. we'll be happy to talk about both of those, and I'll show you why, I when I put on an auto-loader, it's a Steyer. I'll show you why and explain it and all that good stuff. So stop by either of those places and, and say hi. If, if nothing else, just stop by, say hi, tell me how much you enjoy the show, and and I'll pass it along to Doc, if if you say that you like <laughs> Doc. But, <laughs> we all know. Gosh. We all know who they tune into. So yeah, quick, quick question, Doc. Will that Steyr run 855? Oh, <laughs> yes. Certainly. It should run it just fine, yeah. 
it perfect. It will run one. it just fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can put 855 in your AUG rifle. And Not you want to. No, well, yeah, that's true. To. That's true. Probably shoots it better than anything else, though. Just saying. Without a doubt. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, of course, you know, um, if you bring Grant some kombucha, he will probably give you a book for free. You know, even if they don't bring me kombucha, I'll give them a book for free. Whoa, go ahead. The scandal widens. That yeah. is what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, no kombucha required. Yeah. Always appreciate it, but no kombucha required. Yeah. Wow. All right, guys, let's wrap it up. Uh, we miss uh, Melody tonight and uh, Average Joe. Joe had to work tonight. Uh, I think the the guys at the range had to compete. Some of them had to compete tonight. So uh, Tuesday's a normal night. This is Tuesday night at this point. Um, but uh, Joe has uh, had to work tonight. Not normal, but he had to based on that. So we'll catch up with him next time. Uh, so anyway, guys, appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch up with you guys next go around. Bye. <laughs> Usually, usually, Ian's not the one to speak up. (laughs) Good night. Bye. (laughs) Oh, goodness. That'll do it for the show this episode. Please go to gunnation.us where you'll find out everything we talk about in the show, plus the links to all the co-hosts. Now, until the next episode, please stay armed and stay polite.